To the First Unitarian Society of Denver podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey of the mind, the heart, and the spirit. You may find us on the web at fusden.org or find us on Facebook. Today's audio selections come from First Unitarian's online service held Sunday, December 13th, 2020. The title is Body of Denial. The homily is by Reverend Mike Moran. First Unitarian Denver. I want to start today with our Congregational Covenant, adopted overwhelmingly just a few months ago. I will listen to you. I will make space for you. I will include you. Together we will be a community of love, respect, and justice. Together we will learn about white supremacy culture to create an equitable congregation. Together we will protect the vulnerable. When we fall out of covenant, we will call each other back in. This morning, I want to take one of those lines rather seriously. The one that says, together we will learn about white supremacy culture to create an equitable congregation. And I don't mean to say we don't know anything about white supremacy culture. I mean to say that we, all of us, myself included, maybe myself especially, have a lot to learn about white supremacy culture and our role in it. Full disclosure, many of my comments today were inspired by the book Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates, a short passage of which uh, Jen read for us just a few moments ago. One of the things Nahisi Coates does so plainly, so consistently, maybe brilliantly in that book is that he keeps the focus on bodies incarnate flesh and bone bodies that feel hunger and love and pain. And so when he talks about stop and frisk, he's not talking about an abstraction. He's talking about living bodies who are stopped and harassed and humiliated in public. And when he talks about substandard schools in urban areas across the country, he's not talking about abstraction. He's talking about physical, squirmy, beautiful bodies of small children that have to sit on those chairs and who are taught not to think or to grow, but essentially to sit still and behave, and who know damn well that their bodies live lives that look nothing like the bodies of the white kids they see on television. And when he talks about the statistics of black people being arrested more often than white people despite similar levels of crime, and how black people receive harsher sentences than white people for the same crimes, and receive the death penalty far away more often than white people, he is, of course, talking about bodies that breathe and bleed and have heartbeats, and the disenfranchised bodies of the families and the communities who love those people. And when he talks about redlining and the impossibility of black families to access government-backed home loans, loans that are readily available to white families, he's talking about bodies physically restricted from escaping generational poverty by a barrier every bit as effective as if there were steel bars and guards with guns. You get the idea. Racism and white supremacy culture is only an abstraction if you're not black. 
in this country. The political, economic, property, and educational policies created by and for white people, again, are only abstractions if you're not black. And if you are black, then all of these, the, all of these are existential, physical obstacles and direct threats to your health, well-being, and the freedom of your body. One of the many myths, which you can spell lies, of American slavery is that life was relatively bucolic for the enslaved and that rebellions or rebellious enslaved individuals were relatively rare, but modern historians digging deeper and more honest show clearly that violence was the rule, not the exception. Dismemberment, whipping, starvation, torture of every conceivable variety were common, especially after 1800 and the wide usage of the cotton gin, which dramatically increased the possible production of cotton plantations. Slaves had their output measured to the pound, and anyone who fell behind was punished severely and publicly to make a point to all the others. Dr. Joy DeGroy Leary, professor of psychology, believes the central pathology of America is denial. She compares us, for example, to South Africa, where there was a process that tried to intentionally own their past, a whole country that said, yes, we did that, it was wrong, we're sorry, we want to do better. Not that that country or that process was perfect, but there was an effort. She contrasts how Germany, Israel, and even the United States has looked at, acknowledged, and studied the Holocaust. How there are wide-ranging studies about the generational effects of trauma from tsunamis and hurricanes. How there's been acknowledgement of Japanese internment camps during World War II and the generational impacts of Indian schools. But when it comes to what was done and continues to be done, the people of African descent in North America not just crickets, visceral and violent denial. She notes there's simply no way that an institution like chattel slavery, Jim Crow, systemic disenfranchisement and mass incarceration, that level of violent abuse on human bodies could go on for 400 years. No way that such overwhelming generational trauma could be healed or repaired in just a few generations, especially in the context of ongoing systemic denial. And she goes much further. As a psychologist, she notes the well-known effects of trauma on the human body and mind, and that it is inevitable that enslaved people would have the clinical symptoms of long-term traumatic and post-traumatic stress, a feeling of foreshortened future, outbursts of anger or fear, hypervigilance, difficulty sleeping, denial, vacant esteem, dissociation, heart problems, stomach problems, anxiety, depression, on and on. There are whole industries for treating these things in white people. And she notes social learning theory. If you're a small child learning how to be human from broken people, you're going to learn broken ways of being. She traces how some of these predictable effects of long-term post-traumatic stress have been passed down through generations and how these many of these are now mistakenly observed or referred to as black culture, racial character deficiencies. How's that for some bullsh-pucky? And here's the point I want to make this morning and why we're talking about all this in church. I want to argue 
that the underlying assumptions that make this level of cruelty, denial, and cognitive dissonance possible in white supremacy culture grows out of some very bad and destructive theology. The Christian model which permeates American and European white supremacy culture, that is to say, colonizer culture, because that's what it is, posits a hierarchical, holier-than-thou, individualistic, capitalistic set of assumptions that inherently makes other human beings and the earth itself into objects, means of merely economic production, resources to be used for profit. The imagined mythological, philosophical differentiation, separation between the body and the soul, where the body is seen as merely physical and therefore distrusted and of little worth, while the soul goes on eternally in some imaginary afterlife, this very theological system lays the foundations for bodies to be abused, disposed of, denigrated, objectified, in a word, denied. As your minister, I have to tell you, I don't trust spirituality that pretends, denies, or tries to hide from the world we actually live in or the incarnate bodies that are woven into the fabric of reality of the cosmos. I don't trust spirituality that assumes we could or even we should or even could separate or compartmentalize our spiritual lives from the physical world, separate our spirits from the air we breathe, the web of life we share the planet with, or the living, breathing, feeling, physical bodies that suffer and die from human cruelty and ignorance. I think any spirituality worth having should be cutting through all that crap, should be relentless in following the truth, brutal in self-reflection, revelatory, curing us of the delusion of our separateness, humble in the face of all it does not yet know or understand. I think that's exactly what legitimate approaches to spirituality do. And that's why I remain a Unitarian Universalist. My hope is that when we think about social justice here at First Unitarian, when we think about social justice policies, we will start from and work from a theology that sees not just that all souls are sacred and worthy, but that all bodies are sacred and worthy. You can't save one without saving the other because you can't pull them apart and you shouldn't try. May it be so. benediction today is a much abbreviated version of a poem by James Cavanaugh that I consider uh, rather an old friend. It's called My Easy God is Gone. 
I have lost my easy God, the one whose name I knew since childhood. I knew his temper, his sullen outrage, his ritual forgiveness. I knew the strength of his arm, the sound of his insistent voice. He was a good God, so he told me, a long-suffering and manageable one. I knelt at his feet and kissed them. I felt the smooth countenance of his forgiveness. He taught me to thank him for the concern which gave me no chance to breathe, for the love which demanded only love in return and obedience. He made pain sensible and patience possible, and the future foreseeable. He, the mysterious, took all mystery away, corroded my imagination, controlled the stars, would not let them speak for themselves. Now he's gone, my easy, stuffy God. Now the world is mine, with all its pain and warmth, with its every color and sound. I stand in the heavens and on earth. I feel the breeze in my hair. I can drink to the North Star and shout on a bar stool. I can feel the teeth of a hangover, the joy of laziness, the flush of my own rudeness, the surge of my own ineptitude. And I can know my own gentleness, as well my wonder, my nobility. I sense the call of creation. I feel its swelling in my hands. I can lust and love, eat and drink, sleep and rise, but my easy God is gone. And in his stead, the mystery of loneliness and of love. Amen, friends, and thank you for being with us this morning.